And we welcome you to the Tuesday Morning Show on WGTD. I'm Gregory Berg. We're beginning today's program with a conversation with a very gifted photographer and activist by the name of Heidi Wagner. And perhaps you have heard about Heidi Wagner's Passions Project. It had, uh, in a sense, a launching uh, exhibit at Social on 6th back in November. And my wife, Kathy, was not at that uh, opening uh, reception, but happened to be at Social on 6th right around that time and got to see some of the marvelous photographs that are part of this uh, exhibit. The Passions Project is something that Heidi Wagner began uh, some 10 years ago uh, around uh, the the topic or concern of ageism and capturing wonderful images of, of older adults engaged in various passions uh, late in life. But uh, the Passions Project has sort of evolved into a, a new chapter now. And uh, in its sort of current chapter, it is about to open to the public at the library of the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And I'm so glad that uh, Anastatic, who uh, is a listener to the program and who has suggested very interesting interviews over the years, uh, suggested that uh, we have Heidi Wagner on to talk about uh, the work that she does as a photographer, the stories that, uh, that Heidi seeks to tell in the photographs that she captures, and in particular, uh, the aim of this latest chapter of the Passions Project uh, to, in a sense, capture and convey the wonderful diversity of the LGBTQ plus community in Racine and uh, to uh, foster a greater sense of, of connection between all of us, including connection between ourselves and people that we might uh, view as very, very different from ourselves. Uh, this is uh, an event and a project that is funded in part by the uh, United Way of Racine County and also the Racine Arts Council. And again, uh, in in uh, in coming weeks, this exhibit is going to be on display at the Library of the University of Wisconsin Parkside. And a little later on, we'll share some specifics in terms of things you can mark on your calendar. But in the meantime, Heidi Wagner, we welcome you to the morning show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I'm glad we can have this conversation. Since this is your first visit, I think a good place to start would be uh, sort of a capsule biography where you tell our listeners uh, a bit about yourself, where you're from originally, and then uh, fold into the story when it is that you first became so interested in photography. Well, I grew, I'm a native of Racine. I grew up and lived uh, there for until I was about 19 years old, and I ended up leaving Wisconsin, and I moved to Denver, Colorado, where I lived for over 30 years until recently I did move back to Racine. But it was during that time, you know, when I left Racine when I was 19, I left specifically because I felt I knew I was, I was ready to come out. I, I'm part of the LGBTQ plus community, and I didn't really feel like Racine was a place that I could do that. So I, and also be myself. So I left and and I forged my own way and made my way out to Colorado. And now coming back to Racine and being able to do a project, the project that I've been working on for you know over 10 years, the Passions Project, and to be able to do it in a way that features and highlights the members of my own community, the LGBTQ plus community, is such a full circle moment for me. And it's 
been an incredible journey to do this project here. I mean, when I started it 10 years ago, like you mentioned earlier, I did it as a way of redefining aging and talking about and find, helping people connect with older adults because oftentimes as we age, you know, older adults become kind of unseen and unheard and somewhat, you know, dismissed within our culture. So to have a project that really highlights the thing that is important for all of us is which is following your passion. It gave people a way to connect with a part of the population that they often feel they have nothing in common with. I think whenever you see someone doing their passion or or can or have an opportunity to converse, have a conversation about their passion, you know, a conversation goes in a completely different direction when mm. when you're talking, you know, about something you both are really engaged in. I mean, you know, oftentimes we sit down at parties and we ask people, well, what do you do for a living? Imagine if you actually ask, hey, what's your passion? And mm. then you have a conversation about that. It, it's it's such a unique it's such a unique way to connect with people and, and it's also a really simple way to connect with people. Right. So tell us about photography when that first became important to you. I, I remember from the biography on your website something about how you were interested in it and then it in a sense fell away and then uh, sort of re entered your life in a big way. But Trace the arc for us. You know, I was I always loved photography. It, it, ever since I was a young kid, I mean, there was, I think I was about eight years old, and actually I took a class called um, col- at College for Kids at U- UW Parkside. Hmm. And they, I did a photography class where we, we shot film and we developed it and, you know, I developed our own pictures and I learned all about that. So that was a huge interest early, early on in my life. But I was always had this identity of being an athlete. So I was a, you know, did a lot, spent a lot of my time in playing sports and in high school, being a high school athlete, three sport athlete. And so it was never something that anybody ever thought was really an interest. It was always just something I pursued on my own. And it did wax and wane throughout my life, but it always seemed to come back. And then when digital photography became an opportunity, my, you know, and now we have phones or cameras in our pockets you know, I think it's it's something that just really blossomed for me. And I remember getting my first little digital Canon camera and and then realizing that I wanted more and, and getting a, you know, a, a bigger camera. And, you know, and, and then just can. But I think digital kind of made it more accessible and something you could do. And then, you know, with the opportunity to share photos on a social platform also just made it become more and more and more something that. I wanted to continue to bring into my life. And then I was also traveling a lot in in like the mid to late 2000s and I loved traveling and having my camera in my hand all the time. So when I came home one time I just said how can I continue to to have this have have photography in my life all the time, not just when I'm traveling. And that's when I created the Passions Project. Mm. I brought it to my work. I was working in a retirement community. And knowing, you know, when there is a lot of uh, that, knowing that there's ageism out there and knowing there's a lot of discrimination for older adults, I wanted to tell a different story. And as I started taking those photos, I realized there's nothing like this out there. And that's what really launched me into moving away from, you know, working with older adults on a, you know, at a retirement community to working with older adults and telling their stories through uh, photography in the Passions Project. Hmm. So, t- take us back uh, 
10 plus years to when you started the Passions Project. And I'm, I guess I'm, I think you already shared very eloquently uh, kind of the meaning behind it, which impelled you to want to do this. I'm, I'm actually kind of curious more now about the nuts and bolts of it. I mean, um, what did you conceive it to be? And then how did you approach some of these folks? I mean, what was your overture to them in terms of what this was going to be about and why you were interested in taking their photographs and so on? I mean, because as you said, uh, you were creating something that uh, either was kind of a first or certainly a kind of an uncommon thing. And I'm, I just wonder how quickly they understood what this was about and, and, uh, and sort of climbed aboard. Well, I, you know, when I first started the project, it was really a project for my, myself. You know, I was thinking about how can I be more engaged in what I'm doing? I was feeling stagnant at work and I just was like, what are the things that I love about my work and what are the things outside of my work that I want to bring to it to enhance it? So when I, I was like, I love the residents and the people that I'm working with and I want, and they're always doing such cool and amazing things. And I, you know, wanted to do, I mean, I just was like, I want to do a portrait series of, you know, the residents and whatever it is that their interests are, their passions. And I think when people first hear that word passion, there's a little bit of a, like, what do you mean passions? Like, they're not really mm. sure what you mean, or it's a word that people kind of shy away from and when necessarily describing themselves. Well, and it can mean different things. I mean, we can use that word in vastly different ways. So, Exactly. So there was a little bit of like, well, tell me more of what you mean. So, you know, whatever you're passionate about. And I always think that your passion doesn't have to be something epic, like jumping out of an airplane or something you've done your whole life or riding your bike across country. It can be as simple as you love books and you love to read to playing a musical instrument or learning learning a new skill or hiking. You know, it's it's something that that just has a very deep meaning for you and something that you almost wake up every day thinking, I can't wait to be able to pursue this passion Mm. of mine. You know, it's funny as you're describing that and I'm realizing now I, I have uh, someone uh, in my family who now is in assisted living for the first time for just, just been there several weeks. So this is kind of a a new experience uh, for him and, and for me. And, uh, and I'm realizing that, in a sense, the last word I would use when I walk down certain hallways would be passion. I mean, it, it at, at a careless glance, uh, it looks like a lot of older people who are sitting very static, very quietly, and not engaged in anything passionate whatsoever. And it's so easy to just, and, and probably in some cases also that might be true, but one looks closer or one takes the time to talk to people or uh, or just come to understand and you realize that uh, just because you're 75 or 80 or 85 or 90 doesn't mean that that sense of passion has evaporated. And uh, particularly if people are given an opportunity to still embrace their passions, uh, how how wonderful that can be. But I guess the point I'm making is I have think a lot of people walk around like me uh, assuming that passion is one of the last things you should talk about with this particular population, and that's just a terrible mistake to make. Well, I, I think you know, the pro, you know this project has taught me a lot, and I think one of the main things it has taught me is that passion is ageless. I mean, you 
you know, and and it and it really doesn't have any bounds. I mean, I there's nothing that bounds passion. It's like when it's in you and you express it and you share it with other people, it has an opportunity to, you know, uh, inspire others. It has an opportunity to inspire yourself. It it keeps you engaged in your life. It makes you a hell of a lot more interesting, and and the conversations and and the way that you are choosing to be in the world is is really cool and something that people are find infectious and want to be around and you know i and you know this project has has enabled me to have a passionate life and it's it's such a gift to be able to feel like so engaged in what what i'm doing and to just see it see the world in that way and want to bring that out in other people hmm. so had you seen somebody in particular and seen that passion and you wanted to find that in other people or maybe maybe because you worked there and were closer to these folks you understood something that the rest of us who just drop in from time to time would completely miss I you know I I was working with with many of the residents and I was working in a community and that encouraged passion and encouraged people to pursue those things that are interested in to be engaged and so I was Honestly, when I was feeling pretty stagnant in my life, I was looking to the residents as people that I was, I was like, I want to be, I want to be engaged like them. I want, mm. they, so it's like they were really the inspiration for the project. They, I didn't have to create anything. I just had to ask, tell me and show me your passion. And people, I had people coming, you know, I just said, I asked people to volunteer to be a part, part of the project. And that first project that I did was over 40 people. These days, I photograph typically between 10 to 20 people. But that first one, there weren't, th and there were people that came up to me after the project came out. I'm like, I wish I would have done this. I mean, there mm. was so much there. There's so many, and there's so many other people that didn't volunteer to be a part of the project that absolutely could have had their photograph on the wall and we could have been talking about m multiple, you know, passions that they have. I mean, I think I find that too very often is that when you have one passion, that you express and you show very typically you have many passions there's right. you know it's kind of like there's uh, there's times when i could do a 20 piece passions project about one person because there's so many things in their life that they love and enjoy and that they keep alive in their life because you know age isn't about a number as much as it is about who you are and where you are in your life i mean I, you're only old when you stop living you know, that, that's, and that's not talking about end of life. It's talking about living life. Mm -hmm. We're speaking with Heidi Wagner, and we're talking about Heidi's uh, project, which is called The Passions Project. And uh, as uh, you've been hearing, The Passions Project was conceived a little over 10 years ago, mostly as uh, an exercise in combating ageism by capturing visually the stories of, of older adults engaged in various passions at that stage of life. Uh, so tell us uh, at what point you began thinking about the Passions Project beyond the scope of what you had originally conceived. From the very beginning, I knew that although I was choosing to have the project focus on ageism and eradicating ageism, I knew the project had an opportunity to tell stories of other historically ma marginalized people. So 
as a member of the LGBTQ plus community, I knew that I would love to tell the stories of LGBTQ plus people as well, because I think that the project, the one of the beautiful things about the project is how it can create a bridge. And we oftentimes find ourselves on these islands of thinking that, you know, and of like-mindedness of people that look like us or people that we can relate to. And we don't always know how to reach a reach and uh, across and and find connection with people that that are that we see as different than us so when you have the passion the passion becomes that bridge of that creating community and connection so i off i also know that the lgbtq plus community is typically seen in in that same light so i wanted to have the to be a, a the subjects of a project so that we all can find ways to connect and relate and have conversation and find connection. It's so it's been a project I've been trying to do for over 10 years, but um, it, you know, it's always a matter of finding the right situation. And when I moved back to Racine, uh, there was the opportunity came forward to, to apply for the United Way grant. And thanks to the Racine Arts Council and the United Way, the project was funded, and it's and it's just been an incredible experience to do it here in Racine. Hmm. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around the the original purpose versus this purpose in the sense that uh, I can see that, uh, or at least for me, what would be so beneficial for the Passions Project in that that early. Uh, rendition is that we so often think of that population without passions. I mean, we just don't think about older people um, having passions or that that's something that was once a part of their lives and it isn't any longer. And uh, and it, so it seems like at least a big part of what you were doing was reminding us that that's something that should not and does not completely go away. I mean, it really doesn't. And and we should do everything we can to foster that and so on. Um, I'm not sure that the typical person walks around making that same assumption about the LGBT community. That is, I, I, I think, you know, whatever one might, whatever relationship one might have with that community, I don't think we make the assumption that these are people without passion. Um, and so it's, in, so in that respect, it feels like this, this phase of the Passions Project maybe serves a slightly different purpose than, than at the outset. Is that fair to say? I mean, beyond it being about a different community, but it's also, there's a, maybe a different kind of discovery we need to make. It, does that question make any sense? Yeah, I think, I think uh, when you talk about marginalized communities, it's always about, you know, marginalized communities are often seen and, and you know, dismissed. Ageism, racism, homophobia. We find a way of othering people. Mm. And the project is meant to break down that othering and it is, is and that in which then we can connect and find ways of connection. Right. And so in some ways... Uh, Passion's just the conduit. Right. And maybe part of what's going on here is uh, the assumption that, especially if one has very little direct connection with that community, we have a tendency to simplify and uh, and and maybe think of people as being one thing and that's all that they are and versus a person who 
also you know loves to bake or loves to draw or loves to fish or whatever it might be but so in a sense you're saying by highlighting the passions that somebody has uh, in a particular community that passion first of all it might be our passion maybe not but just the idea that that is a part of their life just the same as passions are part of my life that gives us a a means of commu- of connecting that wouldn't otherwise maybe be there it's that opportunity to see people as people I mean, we are individuals and we all have different identities within being the person that we are. But this, but to see people as someone that is, we find ways to relate to, that we find a, a pathway to conversation and a pathway to connecting, that's what the passion does. It just gives you that opportunity to say, I see you, and I see this uh, this piece about you that is very that is different than this identity as being older, being um, you know LGBTQ plus. It's you know I I get to see something different about you, and right. I get to find and I can explore. We can explore a connection in a, in a way that is different than through identity, or, right? And it's through this through this idea of like, what's your passion? Right. So beyond the label. Yes, exactly. or or beyond the surface, it's like what's inside, and of course that's what makes each of us unique in all kinds of of, of of different ways. We're speaking with Heidi Wagner about the Passions Project, and the Passions Project uh, is going to be put on display in the very near future at the Library of the University of Wisconsin Parkside. So, tell us a little more about the experience of actually sitting down with somebody and capturing them and their passions. Uh, photographically in order to, as you like to say, telling their story. I should say that when I first read about the Passions Project I, and the way it was described, I assumed that this was going to be something that would feature a fair amount of text. I'm not sure that that's true. It sounds like the storytelling, as it were, is largely, maybe even entirely conveyed in the visual images. Is that right? Yes. I mean, as I am a visual artist and that's how I like to express myself and express the story. However, I think if you to get the depth of um, visual art that I'm trying to capture, it requires sitting down and actually talking to people, too. So mm. I start every before I take my camera out, I actually sit down and I just do a very informal interview talking to the person about what is your passion, tell me your story, and really getting into who they are. Because I'm, you know, it's like we're we're doing something. You, when you're photographing someone, that's a pretty vulnerable thing. I mean, most people would never say that getting your picture taken is their favorite thing to do. Mm-hmm. So you got to, you know, for I understand that it really the importance of taking the time showing somebody who I am as, you know, giving that reciprocation of vulnerability to, in in order for them to show me a little bit more, give me, you know, be a part of what we're doing, this creative process. It's a creative process. So sitting down, interviewing, usually, you know, it it depends on how chatty somebody is. Like there's times when I'm like, like, how am I going to wrap this interview (laughs) up, you know? (laughs) And, uh, And then other times, you know, people are a little bit more to the point, but it can be anywhere from like, you know, 15 to 15 minutes to an hour or more. So it's it's such an interesting time to spend with somebody and then 
sometimes you think like is now the time we should be doing the photo it just seems like yeah that was the best part was this piece of getting to know each other but huh. i think you know once we do that and and there's so much that the photo then lends itself to and and it leads to some really great storytelling with when you when the project is on display because i also it having projects it's meant to be uh public art so i like to have it be in public spaces there's always a story card with each person that gives you you know tells you a little bit more gives you a little bit more depth you know i'm not a, a great writer so that's always a little bit challenging part of it for me that you know the the photo part is challenging in its own way but it's a the challenge that i like but with this united way project we've also been able to do some video work with oh. people too so we've had another element of storytelling not everybody has their own story with this project but we were able to do six different individuals and 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 bring their individual stories out and that was really fun because that was something i always wanted to do and i've it's been a, an opportunity on a couple different projects i've done but this one in particular was so just so amazing to be able to bring that video piece to it as well and i love just just a little bit more that's like a teaser of like here's the written story here's the video story here's your photograph and it's just like how do we each play with each play with each other and then how do we enhance each other and enhance that ability to tell people stories hmm. so how did you end up connecting with the people whose images are captured in this latest uh, incarnation of the passions project when working with an organization or a city like Racine you know it, it became a lot of grassroots, you know, working with the LGBT center of the Southeast Wisconsin that's in Racine, getting the word out, personal reach outs and asking people to nominate people. There was a nomination process and when doing 20 people and we were wanting to make sure it was very representational of Racine, you know, Racine LGBTQ plus community, we, um, our goal was to get over 50 nominations, which we did. Mm. Because we, we wanted an incredible diversity of not just people's passions, but of age, of race, ethnicity, and um, also of um, identity, LGBTQ plus identity. So it, it was important to really represent that. And so it was a, it was a lot of grassroots word of mouth getting the word out especially because this is you know this is a project that not many people know about so it was also like well what am i signing up for what exactly is this going to be yeah. and i think the next time we do and call out for nominations there will be a in a very, very different response and we'll ha more avenues will be open to us because there will be more of a familiarity to the project right so give us a sense of some of these 20 people and the passions that are represented. I mean, uh, we don't need to hear about every single one, but just uh, entice our listeners with at least uh, a, a few examples of, of what you captured and are sharing in this exhibit. The cool part about this project in the difference, like I said earlier, is we captured a wide range of, of, uh, of ages. So, and and passions but we have our youngest person in the project is 12 and the oldest person is 91 and mm -hmm. you know and and the different passions are incredible so it's you know everything from angie and her family so having a lgbtq plus family being in that family has is her passion to gene who is our oldest uh 
person in the project who is an you know very prolific writer and is a known writer in Racine to several different people who activism is part of their passion and their you know a mission that is important to them and Alberto who is a hiker and Enzo who is an artist who works with uh, small ceramic you know clay characters and and also you know Zach who loves to perform and John who's you know been doing karate you know most of his adult life and it's it's just been incredible and so much fun to see all of the people come forward and and really you know take a chance on this project and and you know be willing to be vulnerable and be in public and to be out and to talk not just about being LGBTQ plus, but about their passions. Hmm. So one of the things you mentioned is uh, that at the moment, the actual physical photographs, although I'm sure they obviously exist digitally, but but those physical photographs that will hang on a wall or sit on a table or whatever are right now in a box. And uh, that's probably a, an aspect of this that a lot of us don't stop to think about is figuring out exactly where this will go and how it will look and how exactly it will be physically presented to the public. So first of all, is this going to be kind of scattered throughout the library or is there sort of a gallery space where we will experience this sort of all at once? Yeah, so the project came down from Social on 6 last week and then within the next couple days, well, within the next week, we'll be hanging it at the library space at UW Parkside. And it's it's this beautiful kind of open space, really bright area of the library. Like when you walk in and, and you walk into the library, it'll be just like right to your left. So it's not oh. like you have to walk through the stacks or it's not like it's going to be scattered around. There's a dedicated area where it will be. And I'm really excited about that because it's, you know, art is meant to be seen in public. It's not just to, not necessarily just to live digitally. And I think, you know, again, when you see the entire project hung together in in the installation, the power of of the message of the project is just amplified. So to have it all in one space and to be it to be a really nice open space where people can come. I mean, there's a lot of opportunities that are being discussed about bringing classes, you know, of students from UW Parkside, you know, from different, you know, disciplines of the university, not just LGBTQ plus students, but student, you know, like a freshman seminar or maybe women's studies or even, you know, pre-med talking about, you know, you know, when, how, relating to people that are different than you. There's a lot of education, educational opportunities and and different community programming that we're really excited to, you know, launch and, and talk about with not just the UW Parkside community, but Kenosha, Racine communities as well. Very good. I wanted to mention that uh, your your website, uh, HeidiWagnerPhotography.com, has a, a very generous uh, sampling of, of your work, and it includes something that you touched on briefly, your love of travel. And I don't know how much that's a part of your life now, but obviously at some point you were traveling to Africa and Central and South America and Europe, and uh, you have wonderful uh, images from from some of those trips abroad. And 
And I should think that that's uh, really exciting. Uh, it's funny, though, you sometimes hear people warning that, I mean, don't spend your whole vacation looking through a viewfinder. I mean, that I mean, make sure you're really looking at the Taj Mahal and not just taking photographs of it. Uh, but I can tell just from the quality of the of the of the images that you take that, you know, you have found a way to experience these places very vibrantly that included capturing their their their. Uh, photographs of, 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 of this and that, but I was really impressed by what I saw. Thank you. And it's true. I mean, it can be really easy to create distance between you and what you're experiencing uh, by putting a camera there. And it's important because a lot of times when you're on vacation, sometimes your photography can become about like um, documenting. Like, oh, I saw this, oh, I saw mm. that. And maybe it's not as much about exploring and really seeing some detail or, you know, experiencing a wide scene of, you know, being at Grand Place in, you know, in in Belgium. But it's it it's about how you, you know, it's always about like intention. And so when you go, if you're going into intention, into something with the intention of I want to use the camera as a way to deepen my experience, there's always the opportunity to do that. And and, you know, I never saw myself as a and I don't think many photographers necessarily start as portrait photographers or people photographers. Mm. I mean, I remember being places and being like, I need that person to get out of the picture. <laughs> and now I'm inviting people into the frame and mm. trying to, you know, there's different energies around that. So um, it's, it's, it's really, I love the travel part. I haven't been doing as much travel since starting the Passions Project. When you start a small business, it's, mm. it's uh, kind of consumes you in many ways. And I'm looking forward to getting back into that because I I love that piece of because it's always just how I've seen the world is I see it in a frame and I and to the challenge and the excitement of capturing it through photography is always been something that has been so exciting to me and uh, how I connect. Mm. I loved a line on your uh, website where you say Photo photography teaches me how to look at the world isolate its elements and capture visual art. But that first part in particular, that idea of how we look at the world and how carefully do we look at the world versus carelessly. And and it seems to me that a whole lot of what you do is about what you notice that a lot of other people perhaps miss. And, uh, and I suppose that's also part of what the passion is in this for you. It is, you know, and and it just that directly goes into what the project is about, but what my photography is about. It's about creating connection. I mean, whether it's connecting with self, or connecting with other people, connecting people with people, finding new ways for people to experience what we look at all the time and what we see, and and find, like I said, finding new ways to connect and that's what the project's about that's what you know my you know travel photography is about it's always just been about how do i connect and where are the ways that i can find connection in what i'm doing and and that's just the piece of it that um that's what speaks to me i mean that's i am a person who loves connection so to then my for my work to to be expressing that I think it's pretty natural, but it's something that I, I didn't go out with the intention of. It's something I've definitely learned about myself over time. Mm. 
Very well put. A last question. You told us in your capsule biography about your uh, intention to come out uh, at the age of 18 or 19, and Racine did not feel like a an environment in which uh, you would maybe feel completely safe or comfortable doing that or living out. Uh, but here you are back several decades later, and I assume you have found Racine to be a very different place than when you left 30 years ago, in, in that respect at least. 100%. I mean, I don't think there's any perfect place in regards to, you know, acceptance for, you know, for all people. And I think, however, I do see there's been a lot of change in Racine and, and being and being out there and being somebody who is looking for a place to find connection with the LGBTQ plus community, Racine is a place that that absolutely is a possibility. There's always room for growth and for all of us. And I'm hoping that a project like the uh, the Passions Project LGBTQ plus is a project that can foster and encourage that, you know, grow continuous growth. Very well put. Heidi Wagner, uh, the Passions Project will soon be on display at the University of Wisconsin Parkside in the library there, and uh, we're about to share some specific information about that. But in the meantime, I'm so glad uh, that you came uh, by the morning show to uh, talk about the work that you've done and the Passions Project and where it might be headed. In fact, I assume this is not the end point, but just the beginning. A hundred percent. I mean, the project with LGBTQ plus community, we're there are so many new avenues that I'm exploring with that, and there's some great opportunities coming down the road. I, I have a very lofty goal of wanting to the project to be an outdoor display, and the, and then you know the next project that I'm working on is a project with a passions project featuring uh, high school students in Racine, Case High School, and so it's the race and social justice. Uh, Passions Project is the next project coming down the pike. Wow. Well, that's exciting to think about as well. So we await that eagerly. And in the meantime, thank you again for being part of the morning show today, Heidi Wagner. Great to have you here and best wishes uh, as you go forward with the Passions Project. Thank you so much. It was a great opportunity to talk with you today, too. Thank you. The Passions Project exhibit will be on display at the University of Wisconsin Parkside Library from January 17th until March 10th. And mark your calendars for Thursday, February 23rd, 5 p.m., for a panel discussion with Heidi Wagner and with some of the people who can be seen in the photographs. More information about when the library is open is available at uwp.edu slash learn slash library. For part two of today's morning show, here's an excerpt from my conversation with author Kat Duff talking about her book, The Secret Life of Sleep. But in fact, lots goes on in our sleep. We keep thinking and feeling and going over things in our sleep. We practice our skills. We remember things. We weigh variables. We, we solve problems. Have you ever had the experience of uh, being uh, bothered by something when you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and you get in the shower and all of a sudden it, it dawns on you, oh, this is what I need to do. That's because your sleep has been working on it and figuring it out. Uh, so they do uh, relate very much to each other, but they have this kind of invisible line between them. Mm -hmm. 
I, uh, I remember that from, I think, the second, uh, the 11th chapter of your book, Knitting Up the Revel, uh, Sleeve of Care, Emotional Restoration, when you tell us that, uh, that we are beginning to understand the role that sleep and dreams play in, in what you describe as managing the emotions that often get the better of us by day. Uh, do we understand the mechanism by which that restoration or process of kind of making sense of things, how that happens when we sleep, when we dream? What's going well, on? We're learning more. We don't understand it all, of course. <laughs> and, uh, but um, part of what we do in our dreaming lives, and by the way, even people who don't remember dreams still dream. Uh, that's been pretty well established, uh, is that we um, kind of reiterate um, and the issues that are bothering us and, and kind of dramatize them in different ways in order to um, scale down the upset, in a sense. Um, I think that's why the Irish say, you know, a good laugh and a long sleep are the best cures. Uh, or it's also said uh, the best bridge between despair and hope is a good night's sleep. How exactly we make that shift from being overwhelmed and discouraged and despairing at night and waking up the next morning and ready to take on the day uh, involves both the dreaming sleep where we, we go over our the things that are bothering us, but also that deep sleep where we let it all go and we kind of empty out. And I think it's the combination of the two that really does the, does the trick. Mm. Of course, there are all kinds of people who have all kinds of difficulty with sleep, with falling asleep, with remaining asleep, and it seems like these are numbers which are are escalating. One of the most curious phenomena, of course, is uh, the fear of falling asleep. You give us a couple of different names for that, hypnophobia or somnophobia. Uh, It's such an intriguing, and I'm sure for the people who suffer from it, very, very troubling condition. Um, what do we know about this curious experience of those who are actually fearful of falling asleep? What is going on there? Well, it's kind of a hypervigilance. You know how um, if we're walking down a dark street at night, we have all our antennae out to see, you know, what's lurking in the shadows, if there's any danger around. We're hyper-alert, we're hyper-vigilant. And uh, some people, their nervous systems have a hard time letting go of that hyper-vigilance. And so, and I have a couple of friends who are like this, who are chronic insomniacs. They they get close to sleep and then something suddenly wakes them up. Wait a minute, what if this or that is going on? What do I have to listen to? Uh, It may be carried over from times in our evolution or our history when we lived in more dangerous times, uh, when more was foot that we had to watch out for, or it may be a function of being overstimulated in our world. Now we have, you know, lights and sounds and TVs and everything is blaring, it seems. Uh, And it could also be a function of... um, when people have been left alone to cry as babies uh, too often, what can happen is that their nervous systems get extra sensitive to stress and extra taut, and then they may grow up to be people who can't fall asleep or stay asleep. 
One really intriguing thing in your book is when you talk about the booming sleep industry, and in particular, how uh, sleeping pills are such a, an important, profitable part of the, huh. the pharmaceutical industry, and yet you tell us uh, very persuasive evidence that indicates that, in fact, uh, most sleeping medications, sleep aids, do almost nothing to actually help people sleep. Uh, yeah. Tell us more about what, what these studies show. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. One in four Americans take a sleep medication every night. And uh, what the studies show is that, on average, sleeping pills give us an extra 11 minutes of sleep. Uh, what they do is they usually shorten the time it takes to fall asleep, so there's less time for that anxiety and that sleep dread to build up. Um, but more importantly, what they do is they lower anxiety, so we just feel less worried about whether we're going to get enough sleep or not. And we don't remember our nights when we wake up in the morning, so it feels like we're more rested when actually we just got 11 more minutes. And in fact, most sleeping pills will actually shorten the time we spend in dream sleep and in the deep sleep that is so physically uh, regenerating. So uh, chronic use of sleeping pills will actually accelerate our aging because mm. we don't spend as much time in that deep regenerating sleep. Interesting. And it's so interesting. You, you, you tell us about these results and, and then you write, I can hear my friends who take Ambien nightly protest that it is not true, insisting they sleep more and do better the next day with the drug. But you tell us lab studies consistently report that people think they get more sleep when they take medication than they actually do. In other words, people do not generally do all that good a job of assessing their own sleep and in particular how their sleep has been positively or adversely affected by something. That's true, uh, because, of course, we don't remember our sleep. Uh, uh, an interesting study has come out since I wrote the book uh, demonstrating that if someone is told they had a good sleep, they actually uh, do much better that day and perform much better as if they did have a better sleep, even if they didn't. Uh, so there's a certain value in that placebo effect of thinking that you got better sleep than you did, but of course it's limited. Hmm. Well, and when I underwent my, my sleep study, uh, one of the things that was difficult for me was to answer all the preliminary questions about typically how a, a night of sleep unfolds for me. And then when I had that first sleep study and awoke the next morning, it was very difficult for me to answer those questions, such as, how many times did you wake up? How long were you up? I mean, how long did you deeply sleep? Uh, did you dream? Uh, I, I realized that, that, that those were all questions that were really hard for me to answer. And of course, that circles us right back to one of the first points we made in this interview, that the study of sleep uh, is very, very difficult, and it probably always will be. I think you're right. Uh, Stanley Korn, who was one of the, uh, wrote, wrote the earliest books about sleep, uh, told this great story. He said that he had a really bad night of sleep. He was awake all night. He, in the morning, he was telling his wife 
uh, when she woke up, oh, I never slept. It was terrible. And then they noticed there was dust on the bed. And and he looked up, and the ceiling had cracked, and plaster had fallen onto the bed. They had slept through the uh, earthquake in San Francisco, and he thought he had never slept. <laughs> mm. So uh, our perceptions oftentimes of our sleep, insomniac saying that I didn't sleep a wink, or people saying I slept great the whole night are sometimes off from what really happened. Right. I mean, those electrodes attached to your the, your temples, they, th- those don't lie. But no, uh, they, they, don't. Some, they sometimes paint a, a picture that's really hard for us to understand. Well, true. for much more information about the uh, mysterious uh, experience of sleep and its undeniable benefits, uh, we can turn to your book, again titled The Secret Life of Sleep. Uh, it's published by Atria Books, the author, Cat Duff. Cat Duff, thank you so much. I, I was intrigued by your book on so many levels, and I know many people will find a lot to uh, drink in and, and, and ponder. So thank you thank so much you. for joining me today. Thank you. Bye-bye.